I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, New York Times bestselling author and TV journalist. And this is Unchained TV's Voice America podcast. For the next hour, you will hear the solution to most of the problems that plague our world. And it's a solution mainstream media ignores, even though it only requires us to make one simple change. Want to know what it is and transform your life? Let's get started. Hello, I am so absolutely honored to have one of my heroes, Kathy Guillermo, PETA's Vice President of Laboratory Investigation, stopping unnecessary animal torture globally. Over the course of 30 years, this woman has rescued more animals than you could possibly imagine. Kathy, I know you've got some huge breaking news for us. Uh, PETA has offered $1 million to save 1,000 monkeys from the lab pipeline torture. You can visit PETA.org to help bring us up to date what is happening with this $1 million offer that PETA is making. Well, Jane, I'm so happy to be here, and thank you for giving me a chance to talk about this. We are talking about monkeys who were brought into this country illegally apparently by Charles River Laboratories, one of the biggest suppliers of animals to laboratories, well, the biggest supplier in the world, one of the biggest suppliers of monkeys. And as your listeners may know, there has been quite the scandal lately about monkeys who have been trapped from their homes in the wild and sold as farm-bred animals. This is illegal. It's a violation of the Endangered Species Act. It's a violation of the Lacey Act. And we have been following this very closely. The latest news is that these thousand monkeys were brought here illegally and Charles River, because they're worth $30 million to this company, wants to send them back to Cambodia and then they'll go back into the pipeline to laboratories. We can't let that happen. We've been working for weeks trying to get placement for these monkeys in a sanctuary. We have an excellent sanctuary born free in Texas who's willing to take them if they have enough of the funding. We think Charles River should pay up, but we're certainly willing to contribute to that. And it's it's very touch and go right now. The monkeys are still in this country, but we don't know for how much longer. You can visit PETA.org right now to get involved. I want to say that every single time I get an email from PETA, I stop whatever I'm doing, even if I'm running out the door and I just follow the links because I can send a letter to my two U.S. senators and my member of Congress like that. Okay, they have it down to a science. You go to PETA.org, you register, you get texts, you get emails, boom, 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 boom. You can be part of the solution. And I know that you get hundreds of thousands of signatures behind you when you are trying to um, convince, uh, for example, the National Institutes of Health to do the right thing. And what drives me crazy, what drives me absolutely crazy is that the National Institutes of Health that is supposed to be working for us seems to be more working for the vivisection industry and it is big money. Um, I noticed going through your website, PETA.org, that uh, Dr. Alka Chandra has been banned from the National Institutes of Health campus Why is this? Well, you're so right that NIH plays a part in this, and you're so right about the emails. The only, and if I just might add, the only reason those monkeys are still in this country 
is that 40,000 people emailed Fish and Wildlife Service in response to our action alert, and that's what kept them here and has kept them here so far. But Dr. Chanda had the nerve to go to a public meeting where public opinions were sought, and she had permission. She had applied to speak at this meeting about the National Institute of Mental Health and the ridiculous things they're doing to animals. But when she got to the door, they said, no, you can't come in. And the reason? She distributed information and flyers on and about their campus, something that's perfectly legal to do. So we have filed a lawsuit. We're not going to stand for this. NIH wants to silence the people who have opinions about animal experimentation, and that's not going to fly. And, you know, we don't want to depress you, so I'm not going to show you too many of the horrors, but it's a horror show. It is, see this monkey missing two fingers, two digits? This is a horror show. It's medieval, and it shouldn't be happening, and we've all got to stop it. Now, there's some good news, and that is the President of the United States has recently signed the groundbreaking FDA Modernization Act. This just happened uh, just a couple of months ago, December 20. 2022, the FDA Modernization Act 2.0 was signed. What does this do in terms of getting rid of this medieval backward animal experimentation? It's a real door opener for us. And PETA was happy to work on this with a number of other organizations. We had a coalition of groups working hard for it. And what it means is that the FDA can now approve new medications that haven't been tested on animals. They can approve new medications that have been tested using the variety of excellent superior uh, tests that don't involve animals at all and that are more human relevant. It changes the statute to make that possible. We have a lot of hard work ahead of us. We need pharmaceutical companies to get on board with this and to submit their, their proposals to the FDA to approve these medications without animal tests. So that will not only spare animals, but it will get us the drugs and medications we need much quicker because we, we're wasting decades on animal experiments and animal tests that don't show what's going to happen to humans once a human is actually exposed to a drug, 95% failure rate. So this is a door opener for animals and for patients in this country. Yeah, and, and you know, you have some stats that are really mind-boggling. Uh, check this out. And we're going to talk about the research modernization deal that uh, PETA is suggesting uh, and recommending, which is even uh, better than the uh, FDA Modernization Act. But, I mean, come on. 95% of all new medications that test safe and effective in animals fail in human clinical tests. The failure rates are even higher in specific disease research areas like Alzheimer's, cancer, AIDS. 100% of the animal tests fail. Strokes, 100%. 90% of basic research, most of which involves animals, fails to lead to treatments for humans, yet the National Institutes of Health spends nearly half of its annual massive budget on animal studies. I mean, this is outrageous. Um, we've got some callers, but I want you to answer if you can. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. I don't get it. It really makes no sense. We're, we're stuck in a paradigm in this country in which we continue to do the same thing, even though we now know it's failing. We now know that it's resulting in the deaths of hundreds of millions of animals and not helping humans. 
And I think what we need is a big overhaul of NIH and of the entire system so that the people who are approving the protocols and the proposed experiments are people who have expertise in the non-animal methods. That, that's really critical. We have animal experimenters approving experiments proposed by other animal experimenters, and that's got to change. Okay, we've got a caller, Nilofar in Dallas, Texas. Your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo, Vice President of Laboratory Investigations for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. It's such an honor. Um, if it wasn't for PETA, we all know that um, um, those thousand tortured monkeys would have had to endure another grueling 30 hours in those boxes back to Cambodia and then back into the torture pipeline of labs. Um, uh, and, I mean, the PETA has done so much. If it wasn't for PETA, we would be in the dark uh, about what goes on in the cruelest, darkest corners of the world. Uh, 30 years ago, when you first started, I'm curious, how did you muster up enough courage when PETA wasn't as big and bad as it is today? How did you uh, muster up enough courage to stand up against these powerful, pernicious vivisectors. Thank you. Thank you so much for your very nice comments. And, and we still haven't won on those monkeys yet. So everybody go to PETA.org and take action on that. But you know, my, my boss, PETA founder and president, Ingrid Newkirk, always said to me, when you're going up against the people on the other side, just remember, you're right. And I always think of that because shes it's so true. You just have to tell the truth. And the truth is that what they're doing to animals is not acceptable and has to end. So I want to get back to what we all can do regarding these 1,000 monkeys. Um, and let me ask you this question. By the way, I wrote, and I wrote to the authorities, uh, I believe it's Fish and Wildlife, um, and I said, we're doing an hour special. And would you give us a comment on uh, why these animals are not going to sanctuary yet? And I did not hear back. Mind you, these are government workers who work for the people, okay, supposedly. And the very least one could do to get a response from a government agency when you say you are doing an hour special on the monkeys, that are the 1,000 monkeys in cages. Bring us up to date. What is the very latest with these monkeys? Where are they? Are they in cages um, just waiting for this epic battle to be, to be determined one way or another? You've offered $1 million. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals has offered a million dollars. They have a sanctuary that is willing to take them. Um, these monkeys... I mean, my God, these, they, they share so much of our DNA. What are we doing to these animals? Are they in cages right now while this battle plays out? Yeah, you know, it's, it's tricky with these agencies. There are parallel criminal and civil investigations of Charles River going on right now. And they have disclosed this to their shareholders. So this is public information at this point. We believe that the monkeys are housed in Charles Rivers Houston facility and Houston, Texas, and in their Frederick, Maryland facility. We think that's where the, the, the two locations where these monkeys are warehoused. They are in cages in those facilities. They are not being used in any experiments because the 
Charles River is not allowed to use them uh, for any experiments. And essentially, what we need from the government is a commitment to keep these monkeys where they are until adequate funding can be found to place them in sanctuary. We don't want the government to allow Charles River to send them back into that monkey trafficking pipeline, send them back to Cambodia. So to that end, it would be very helpful if everybody goes to our website and takes action. There's a story on it on the front page. Click on that and you can take action. Also, any phone calls um, to either Charles River in Boston, where it's headquartered, or to the Fish and Wildlife Service are useful too. I, I know that it's our emails that have kept the monkeys here so far, but we've got to have some commitment on the part of the government and on the part of Charles River to help pay for this. This is massive. I mean, we can offer a million dollars, but it's going to take many millions to get these monkeys properly housed and taken care of for the rest of their lives. And so uh, these monkeys were in a foreign country. They were uh, living their lives. They were just being monkeys and they were kidnapped from the wild and then brought here. And now it turns out that's illegal, um, according to you. And we invite Charles River on anytime, include and also the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the NIH and everybody else who's is somehow involved in the story. But if it's illegal, then you, you know, if somebody steals a and, and I don't think monkeys are cars. And I'm very happy that Direct Action Everywhere just got a jury to agree that chickens are not like cars because the prosecutor said, well, if you steal a car, it's the same thing. And the jury disagreed. But if, if, if the monkeys, unfortunately, are considered property and they're stolen property, stolen from the wild, that would seem to me that it's obvious that then the people who did that should not be given these monkeys back or they should not be in control of these monkeys. That would seem obvious to me too. And I think part of the issue here is that the investigations are ongoing. I, the, the government will not or cannot tell us a whole lot more at this point, but we, we feel that we need to hold their feet to the fire here and make sure that they make some commitment to these monkeys. Your listeners may have heard that back in November, the Department of Justice and Fish and Wildlife indicted eight individuals from Cambodia on charges of monkey laundering, which is they captured the monkeys from their forest homes. They slapped them with a label that said they were bred in captivity and they sold them to laboratories in the United States. There, two of the eight indicted were government officials in Cambodia who were very high up, who are allegedly caught up in this monkey laundering, monkey smuggling scheme. What's happening with Charles River right now appears to be part of that bigger investigation. Uh, but we have a situation in which this demand for this incredible number of monkeys to use for experiments, and I think, frankly, because there are funding opportunities following COVID, this demand has created this situation where monkeys are essentially hoovered up from their homes in the forest, and they're now on the brink of extinction because of it. So we need a correction here immediately on all fronts. One of the Cambodian officials goes on trial next week in Florida. He's under house arrest right now. And I think that will tell us a lot once we see that testimony. All right. We've got another caller for Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President of Laboratory Investigations for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Michelle in Los Angeles, your question or thought? Hi, Kathy. Thank you for what you do and for everything that PETA has done and set a precedence for with animal welfare and support. Um, I'm astounded by what's going on. 
I, I'm a new animal activist. I had no idea this was going on. How can we get the word out or what can we do? And why are the other governments allowed to do this? Are there laws that um, coexist with the United States for them to make this illegal? Yeah, there are laws that give a certain amount of protection to these monkeys, but they're obviously being ignored, those laws. Uh, right now, we're reliant on the United States government to find out who's doing what to these monkeys and try to stop it. I think the, the bigger issue is that we have to stop transporting monkeys in what I can only really call a slave trade. We need to stop experimenting on them entirely. They're not leading us to the kinds of cures that we're being promised. They've failed at producing vaccines for human beings. So we need a correction in that too. So it is the complicity of a few huge monkey importers is what it appears to be. And according to the information we have from the indictments, there were two unindicted co-conspirators who are monkey importers in the US and one of them is worldwide primates. We know from the locations that were given, which is based in Florida. And the other one is, is the Invigo company, which owns two laboratories or two facilities in Texas. And I bring this up because you may remember Invigo from the 4,000 Beagles who were released yes. for adoption following our investigation. Absolutely, so and I wanna say uh, Unchained TV did a story on it because um, we got a call from uh, another wonderful organization, Beagle Freedom Project, that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle adopted one of those beagles. They, and they was, did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible uh, development. And uh, so we raced over there and got some video of the beagles that had been rescued from Invigo. And, and you know, we invite all these companies on, uh, the companies you just mentioned. But the government itself said the situation that these beagles were in were horrific. Um, every time they go into these laboratories, they find horrific. Are we, this, all this stuff belongs in a medieval torture museum. Why is it happening? We've got more uh, callers coming in. Uh, Sarah in Culver City, your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President of Laboratory Investigations for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Uh, what I wanted to find out is that are you going to be able to try to reach out to any celebrities? Because in the past, I know that celebrities have had like pet monkeys and there's still like people that have monkeys as pets. And possibly if you could talk to them and maybe they could, you could talk to them about what's going on. I'm not really sure, but that's just uh, a question I wanted to ask you because I think a lot of people actually think that monkeys are pets and then they may not see it as a problem. That uh, you know, and I want to uh, follow up. You know, Sarah, that's an excellent question. Um, you have a lot of contacts with celebrities. I would think that if a celebrity stood up and said, hey, you know, Department of Fish and Wildlife, what the hell are you doing? Uh, do the right thing. That could really have an impact and get some publicity Unfortunately, we live in a world where, um, you know, celebrity, it's a celebrity culture. It, it's so true. And we're incredibly grateful to the celebrities who stood next to us on these campaigns and have led the way. And we have, in fact, reached out to a number of celebrities about this, both publicly on Twitter and, and behind the scenes. And we continue to do so. This has all happened so quickly, just since the end of last week 
Um, so we, we still have some work to do there, but I, I think you'll be seeing some messages from celebrities. I think it's really important. And I just quickly to address, you, you, you mentioned that some people think monkeys are pets. And I, I, it, it's a great point. It's illegal to import monkeys into this country to use them as, as companion animals or to use them as pets or personal property. What we need to happen now is to make it illegal to import them for use in experiments. We have made some progress on that front because we have uh, been working with the Fish and Wildlife Service and because the government has found that monkeys have been laundered, have been smuggled here illegally, they are putting in place a system where every monkey has to be DNA tested before that monkey can be imported. That's gonna take years to set up. So we are looking at fish and wildlife take, taking action to stop the importation of monkeys. We're waiting for them to be public about that. All right, we've got more callers. My gosh, Lindsay in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Hello, Kathy, and it's an honor to speak with you. I did want to mention that recently I saw an NBC News story. Uh, in fact, Dr. Lisa Jones Engel, who is a primate scientist, as you know, with PETA, um, what uh, spoke on, but also a microbiologist stated that without uh, testing on monkeys, it would have taken them two more years to develop the latest COVID vaccines. And I, I, my question is, why is there dis this discrepancy in information going out to the public? And do you think that has the effect of the government not taking action to stop this illegal trade market? Thank you. Well, yeah, that's such a great question. And uh, I will tell you the difference between what Dr. Lisa Jones Engel said. And of course, as you pointed out, she is a primate advisor, primate scientist, and an advisor to PETA on primate experimentation issues. She was a field researcher and a Fulbright scholar for many years uh, before she came to work for PETA. And she began to look at what's going on inside these laboratories and uh, became very upset by it and decided to switch the course of her career. I think what you have here is the person who said monkeys were essential to the development of COVID is a monkey experimenter. And if, the, if we've seen anything in the last two years, it's the, it, it's the use of the, of the COVID virus and the search for vaccines has been a great excuse for monkey experimenters to claim they need monkeys. In fact, there were 54 monkeys who were used, <clears throat> excuse me, in the testing of the COVID vaccines that came out. None of them were long-tailed macaques, which are the monkeys being imported into this country. <clears throat> and monkeys themselves were not essential to the development of the vaccine. The technology had already been in place. What mattered was what happened when they put it in the arms of human beings. And that's why so few animals were used. Because the time was short, the time between developing this vaccine and getting it into human arms, and they didn't want to delay, the animal tests were actually run concurrently with the clinical trials. So it's simply false to say that monkeys are, were needed and are needed to develop more COVID vaccines. Yes, and what I really love about PETA is that you can just go to PETA.org. People say, well, what can I do? Go to PETA.org. It's all there in one website. You can immediately click to, um, you'll probably see this uh, photo, okay? 
and you can click on that and it takes you right where you can send the email because the more emails and the calls they get, they respond to pressure. It's nice. It would be nice if our government did the right thing. But the truth is, it's highly politicized. Um, I don't want to use a species term like the fox guarding the hen house, but essentially vivisectors, and it's a big business, are the ones running the National Institutes of Health. So they keep pushing it, even though it's ineffective. It's, it's moral bankruptcy. More callers. Oh, my gosh. Michael in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo, vice president of lab investigations for PETA. Yeah, oh my God. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Jane. This is a subject that has been haunting me for many years. Um, just knowing what goes on in these animal labs, animal experimentation labs. My question is basically um, kind of concerning the NIH. Is this an organization that can be transformed if we had, uh, uh, you know, a different administration in, in office? Or is there any way to change that organization defunded or something because in my opinion they are the ones that are actually getting the money from uh they're funding these experimentations and basically if we can somehow uh you know change uh change that organization around we can probably maybe end this because i don't know anybody that can see that can watch what goes on in these labs and is okay with it you know i just don't uh you see the the pictures and the videos it's it's worse than any horror picture you could ever imagine. You, you're so right. And yes, I think NIH holds the key here. And how to get NIH to change will come from whichever administration is willing to appoint a director who is going to be forward thinking. We saw Francis Collins, the previous director of NIH, had been in, in that position longer than any other director had been through both Republican and Democratic administrations. And I frankly blame him for keeping the agency mired in the past and mired in the old ways and for giving in to the animal experimenters uh, who are trying to run things over there and particularly the, the monkey experimenters. We saw that happen very clearly. There's an opportunity right now for President Biden to appoint uh, an NIH director who could lead us in a new direction. And we do have an action alert on our site People can send an email to the White House and ask that a forward-thinking administrator be put in place. And I just, I want to say also that, you know, we look at NIH, the National Institutes of Health, with its 40-some billion dollar budget, about half of which goes to animal experimenters. And it's important to realize the government is a customer of Charles River. The governor buys monkeys from Charles River. Charles River Laboratories runs NIH's primate facility in Poolsville, Maryland. So our government agency is very closely tied with Charles River and many of these monkey importers. National Idiots of Health, this is my favorite comment so far today. Yeah. I mean, borrow that. That's yeah. <laughs> National Idiots of Health. Well done, Mick Davoudian. Oh my gosh, we've got another caller. Paige in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo, Vice President of Laboratory Investigations at People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Yes, thank you, PETA, and your whole organization for everything that you do. My question is in regards to, my understanding um, is that testing is such a low um, uh, percentage of efficiency, effectiveness, on animals to humans. Is that accurate? Why are we still doing this? 
why are we still testing on animals? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Can you imagine use, if we were still using the first generation computer today uh, that we used back in the 1950s? I mean, it would be crazy. And that's essentially what we have. We have a, a paradigm of animal experiments that were developed in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s that are still in use today in 2023, and it is crazy. And yeah, it's absolutely true. Jane gave some of the statistics at the beginning, and if you, if you Google PETA and research modernization deal, you can see a nice description of what it is that we're funding. Basically, we are funding experiments that are failing somewhere between 95 and 100% of the time to lead to treatments and cures for human beings. So even if you're a person, nobody on this call, fortunately, who doesn't care about animals, you have to care about fiscal responsibility and human health. And so for all of those things, for the animals, for the humans, for our budget, for our economy, we, we are really compelled to make a switch now. It's complicated why it hasn't switched, but I think I could reduce it to the simple fact that of what Jane said before. There are too many people who find it easy to experiment on animals who are running the show. And those people need to move out of the way and let modern science come in. All right. We've got still other callers. Wow. Uh, so many people reaching out. Susan in Dallas, Texas, your question or thought. Uh, hi. Well, first, uh, as, as Neely said, and so many other people have said, I really appreciate everything Pete is doing. Uh, my question was, they, they've often relied, the experimenters, on saying, well, we're treating the animals humanely because the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee approved these experiments. And I wonder if there's any way to attack them because we all know that they are, as, as Jane has said, the fox guarding the hen house. They're, you know, they're, they're, they make money from animal experiments and, and then they're the ones who get to approve it. So is there anything we can do on that front? Yeah, you know, it's so important. The Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee system was set up following PETA undercover investigations back in the 1980s. And we all had great hope. You know, this was this is essentially the last line of defense for animals in laboratories. And too often they are rubber stamp committees. And we're engaged in two lawsuits about this right now, one at University of Washington, where they have tried to keep from making public the names of the people who serve on this government-required public committee. We don't even know if these people are qualified to be in the positions that they're in. We don't know if they meet the requirements under federal law of, of, of the kind of person and what background is required to be on these committees. And the second lawsuit is at University of Massachusetts Amherst, where they're trying to keep us from knowing who these people are. It's essential, it's essential that we pressure these universities to hold these committees responsible. So in the areas where we're working on this at University of Washington and University of Massachusetts, uh, I encourage people to come to our website and take action on that. So far we're winning in the court. The court, the Ninth Circuit has ruled that this is not a committee that can be kept secret. It is a public committee. And I think that's the first step. Um, the, the other aspect of this, though, is that we need that top-down change. We need NIH to acknowledge what's not working, what animal experiments are failing, to fund what is working, and then to put people on, to require that the people put on these committees have expertise in other methods and hold these experimenters to it. And we've got Karen in Venice, California. Your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo, VP of Lab Investigations for PETA. Kath, Karen. 
Hi there. So um, I have a friend who is a, a doctor, and she told me that, you know, hospitals will do just bogus um, experiments just to get grants, right? So I'm wondering if there is a way to create other methods for them to get grants so they're not harming these animals just to get money for the hospitals. Yeah, and, and that is also true at universities, too. That's what we see again and again. It's much easier to do an experiment on animals and try to seek funding for that than to do a clinical study or some other methods that may be newer that the researcher is not familiar with. That's part of our research modernization deal. It's a six-step program, and the most important steps are stop funding what we know doesn't work, find out what doesn't work, and stop funding that, what else doesn't work, uh, put that money toward what we know works. But we've also added a step for retraining and for individuals who want to seek funding, have only used animals and are now going to need to look at another way of gaining funding. And I think that's key. We need to both offer new scientists coming up through the system, a new way of doing research and a new way of thinking about it. And those people who are already in the field another way to seek grant funds. So I want to ask you about the groundbreaking FDA Modernization Act. Okay, and I know PETA and other groups push this, but this really allows um, companies to consider superior non-animal methods. Is this changing the culture? In other words, you know, these vivisectors live in a culture and that's gotta be a wake-up call. You know, if if I'm putting people on the rack and torturing them and all of a sudden it's like, wait, uh, you guys over there are saying that's not cool anymore. <laughs> Even if I'm a medieval person, it's gonna be like, okay, somebody's saying that animal experimentation isn't cool, we need to do something else. That's gotta change the culture. And right now we're at a critical turning point, right? Because we have to figure out who's gonna run the NIH uh, down the road. That's right. It's absolutely changing the culture. Now, I, I don't by any means think that animal testing is going to end overnight. The FDA is a, an organization or an agency with a long history of animal experimentation. They're going to have to be convinced that these drugs can be safe when they're not tested on animals. Given the failure rate of animal testing, you would think that this would be easy to do, but it will really be the responsibility of the pharmaceutical industry to make the case. We're certainly trying to help out there. But I can tell you, it is not a secret within the pharma industry that animal tests are holding back what they believe are good drugs. There's a whole area of pharmaceutical research where they have said, okay, we think that everything we can tell about this new drug from the more modern methods of testing shows that it could be effective, but it doesn't work in animals and so we're stuck. This will allow them to pave the way then for the rest of the industry. So yeah, absolutely a culture shift. And I think it's being acknowledged as, as such. Yeah. And let me say this, always follow the money. PETA has said this for years and I couldn't agree more. Anytime you see animal abuse, nine times out of 10, unless it's somebody who's sick in the head and they can also follow the money and be sick at the head at the same time, follow the money. The reason why this is happening in universities correct me if I'm wrong, they get a huge chunk of money. Yes, the researcher who's doing the animal experiments gets some money, but then the university also gets money. So it's money, 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 money. And guess whose money it is? Our money. I don't like the idea that my tax dollars, when I pay my taxes, 
that a percentage of that goes to torturing animals for no good reason. I mean, they've been breaking dog spinal cords since before Christ, and they're still doing it today. These are, I think everybody who's experimenting on animals needs to be given a psychiatric evaluation because I've seen the videos, and honestly, that's 35 years ago. Around the time Peter was getting started, somebody sent me uh, a cassette when I was like a cub reporter in Philadelphia of head injury experiments being done on monkeys in a top university there. And it, it to this day, when I think about it, I have nightmarish, like PTSD reactions. If you look at the video, any person, any human being would say this is morally wrong. Isn't that why they fight like hell to keep you from getting the videos when you, PETA, with your, I think last time I checked, you had something like 19 lawyers, you fight with these Freedom of Information Act requests to get the video because once people see the video, it's game over. That, that is so true, that we have to go to court to get public records in the form of videos by publicly funded researchers at public universities. That should be a crime itself. And, and I, I, I think you're so right about everything you say, Jane. It, it is about the money. And even with Charles River, these thousand monkeys are worth $30 million to Charles River. That's how much monkeys are in the post-COVID era. So it follow that money trail and you'll get there. It, it's just outrageous to me that our government, and by the way, this is a bipartisan problem. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, these vivisectors remain there. What's happening with the um, selection process for who's going to take over the NIH? Because I know that, as you mentioned, Francis Collins, who was a big vivisector, stepped down, retired, whatever. What happened after that? Well, we're still waiting. All these months, these more than a year, we are still waiting for the president to nominate a possible director for NIH. And I'll tell you what, it's a mystery to me why he is taking so long. We have Congress now talking about the failure of NIH. If anybody followed, if you get down into the weeds on these issues, there's a new governmental uh, entity called ARPA-H. And I, I wish I could tell you what it stands for, but I'm so bad at acronyms. <laughs> but it's essentially, it's essentially a division that is set up to actually aggressively seek cures and treatments for humans on disease. And the big controversy when this Biden uh, agency or entity was proposed was where to put it. Because so many people said, well, if we put it at NIH, it'll fail because NIH has failed to do exactly this. It'll die on the vine. Other people argued for it to be at NIH. In the end, it was put at NIH, but NIH cannot have anything to do with it. So it's an open secret at this point that NIH is failing. And I, I think we've seen coverage of the problems that the president faces with appointing a director because so many people are saying that NIH is, a, is an agency that has failed to do what it is supposed to do. There's a lot riding on this. Of course, that's why we think he should act immediately. There are plenty of good candidates and he needs to get busy with it right now. Now, you know, what I find so incredible and, and we have that situation here in different, in different, um, slightly similar kind of dynamics, but different issue with the uh, Los Angeles Animal Services. Um, well, I just attended a protest. Uh, it's failing. Everybody agrees. Los Angeles Animal Services is a mess. 
Um, and yet people who are visionaries who've said, yes, I'll do the job. They won't even interview them. Now they're going to hire. They've just announced, oh, we're going to hire a government uh, a company and we're going to spend a lot of money. That's going to a, a company's going to do a nationwide search. Well, interview the people who are right here who actually have ideas and vision for transforming the Los Angeles Animal Services. Why don't you? Instead of we giving the get- firm a whole bunch of money to do a nationwide yeah. search. Yeah, we have to get over the fear of politics. We have to get over the fear of controversy. And we have to get over the fear of change because that's exactly what's going on. The position is so highly politicized, both I, I imagine, although I'm not familiar with it, but in Los Angeles, other people at PETA are, um, as it is at NIH. And we have to stop being afraid of moving forward in the right direction because we might offend somebody. I'll tell you what's offensive, 110 million dead animals in US laboratories. That offends me mightily every year. What do you mean by 110? Are those animals that were killed? Um, elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, you know, it's hard to know exactly how many animals in laboratories because under the only federal law, the Animal Welfare Act, that deals with any sort of minimal protections for animals in laboratories, rats and mice and fish and amphibians and reptiles are entirely excluded. So nobody's even counting. The best estimates of people who have looked at this in a systematic sort of way is that there are about 110 million animals in the U.S. who die in laboratories every year. It's, it, it's you know what, as I believe it was Gandhi said, uh, the uh, value or the evolution or the enlightenment of a nation can be revealed by how it treats its animals. And if that's true, we're in big, big trouble. And look, look at the pandemic. Um, there's new articles in the New York Times now pointing back to the Wuhan market. But what I say is wherever it, wherever it emanated from, the lab, they were torturing bats. The Wuhan market, they were torturing animals. Either way, animal abuse, animal torture was responsible for this plague that affected every single person. And yet people don't connect the dots. They try to use that as an excuse to torture more animals instead of saying, wait, uh, look what's happening. Mother Nature is sending us a message. Leave wildlife alone. We are barreling toward a climate apocalypse. We are destroying wildlife left and right to the point where we will literally have no, essentially no wildlife vertebrates except in zoos within a decade. And yet people still don't get it. You know, um, Species that survive adapt. We are not adapting fast enough to the new realities. And um, it's up to each and every one of us. If this upsets you, don't just talk to your neighbor or your friend or your relative. Go on PETA.org and get involved. It's very easy. And actually, what I like about PETA is that, yeah, they send you a problem. It's disturbing, but they always give you an action point. Because I don't want to just, in fact, it was Ingrid Newkirk who said, being sad doesn't help animals. So immediately go to PETA, I take action, or I'm on their list, I get texts, I get emails, boom. And it doesn't take me that long. They've got it down to a science where in 30 seconds, you can literally reach whoever it is that you're supposed to reach. You can personalize the message or not as you feel you know, needed. Sometimes I personalize, sometimes I'm running out the door, I just hit send. Either way, 
I know that I'm part of the solution. So it's that easy. You literally go to PETA.org and you can just follow the links. Once you sign up to one letter, you can be in the system and they'll send you future letters that you can, they can't do it alone. They cannot do it alone. They need, we're, you know, what, 300 million plus people in this country. We can, um, we can make that change, but we all have to take that action. Don't be sad. Don't be upset. Take action, right? It's so true. And you will see victories. You will be part of these victories. We just uh, worked with locals in South Florida to stop a Chinese company from setting up a monkey importation quarantine facility in, in Florida. And we did that by working with state officials and locals who were in the area. And, and even the governor of Florida came out against it. So we have victories all the time, things we've stopped, things we've shut down, and we could not do it without, without people taking action. Just most recently, speaking of foreign funding, we have been able to shut down a laboratory in Colombia, uh, South America, that was funded by NIH and collaborated with experimenters at NIH, but was not required even to prove that the animals were being held in decent conditions. In fact, they were living in filth in wire cages in an outdoor makeshift pen covered with a tarp. And they got $17 million of NIH funding. But it was the it was our our frankly really good investigative skills on the part of our staff that that dug out this information and then the action of all of our supporters contacting the Colombian government that stopped it. Let me ask you this because this is the other big story that you have. The lab has been shuttered, the monkeys have been seized by the Colombian government. The Colombian government took action, even though it was our American tax dollars distributed through the National Idiots of Health, um, excuse me, National Institutes of Health, uh, but they're not saying, oh, we made a mistake. We didn't monitor this properly. We shouldn't have funded it. Uh, we should have checked what we were doing. Oh, let's not give them any more money. They're saying nothing. They're saying absolutely nothing. And it's crazy. I mean, here we have a facility with, and it was as bad as the treatment of the animals was. There were many, many other allegations from nearly a dozen former employees we spoke to from state agencies in Colombia who shared records with us. What we showed about this place was very scary. And I think the, the overriding message is they might have called it science, but it looked nothing like it. And they're collaborating with the head of malaria research for the National Institutes of Health. It's crazy that NIH has not said, hey, okay, the monkeys have been seized. The mice and the rabbits are going to be seized soon. The place has been shut down, but we're still sending money. It's I just mean, crazy. That, that is crazy. And it should be a story that is on the front page of the New York Times. I uh, that's couldn't agree more. Thing. I mean, millions of dollars sent to this, you know, hell hole in Colombia that the Colombian government itself is saying is a hell hole, goes in there, seizes more than 100 monkeys, and it's all being funded with our tax dollars, and the National Institutes of Health arrogantly refuses to even comment. And this is why it's important that PETA has a lot of lawyers, because they don't respond to anything polite. You know, uh, some people still go back and, oh, PETA, throwing red paint. A, I don't even know if that ever happened. B, 
uh, for 30 some 40 years now, they've been filing lawsuits. They've been doing Freedom of Information Act requests. And I want to say something else. You know, people say, oh, well, they do provocative things. And, you know, I'd rather be naked than wear fur. If the journalists covered it when they did the scientific news releases and the Freedom of Information Act, why isn't the why aren't the journalists covering this? What's happening in Colombia? Okay, they don't cover it. And so PETA, in desperation, does colorful things to try to get media coverage. Then the media comes and says, oh, look, they're they're going naked or whatever it is that they're doing to get coverage because the journalists don't do their job initially. And I can tell you, I was in mainstream media for 40 years. I could testify to that in a court of law. They don't cover it. They don't cover it. Yeah, you know, silence for animals is quite literally death. And we're not concerned with how we appear. We are concerned with getting animals out of these situations and changing the view of animals in this country. And so that's why we'll do it. You're exactly right, Jane. Yeah. So PETA, what an incredible organization. Uh, full disclosure, we go way back, Kathy and I, when you mentioned uh, Florida, it reminded me of how, um, I'll tell a personal story. I was in Puerto Rico for a the Hispanic media conference. And it happened to be the day that Michael Jackson died. And I had covered Michael Jackson extensively, the trial. Um, it was a big story for me. And it was to me, terrible to be out of pocket for that. Um, of course, it was tragic, you know, but I was like, oh my gosh, why am I here? You know, I'm completely in the wrong place to cover that story. And these two women from the um, Animal Rights Subcommittee of the Puerto Rican Bar Association came up to me and they said, you know, there's a, they've built a whole laboratory experiment building in a place called Guayama. And it's a uh, They've already built it. We can't stop it. It's terrible. They're going to be breeding monkeys here. I said, never declare defeat until you've actually fought. And I contacted PETA and PETA, who, which may have known about it prior to that, but to me, it was a shock. They fought it all the way up to the Puerto Rican Supreme Court, which determined that they had built it uh, improperly without getting the proper permits or approvals, and they did not let it open. That was a major victory. You remember that, of course, Kathy, right? Oh, I remember that so well, right down to the last minute. And, you know, we couldn't get them on ethics, but we could get them on permits. And so we did it. Wow, that was amazing. And, you know, uh, there was an, an effort to turn uh, South Florida, particularly Hendry County, into the laboratory monkey breeding capital of the world. OK, they called it bio farming. And there was this guy who came out of nowhere, something out of, you know, uh, what is that uh, great Broadway uh, uh, musical uh, about the traveling salesman? This guy came out of nowhere and it's like, we're going to make this the biofarming capital of the world. And once again, PETA, who did it, they did an undercover investigation, um, stopped that from happening. They couldn't shut down every single thing that was going on there, but they prevented that area in Florida from becoming the laboratory monkey breeding capital of the world. Can you elaborate on that one? Yeah, you know, Hendry County, Florida is still home to a number of monkey facilities, um, importers, and they hold monkeys there for sale to other laboratories, but it has not grown. And I, I think what's important about that, Jane, is that the United States has never been successful breeding monkeys. 
the National Primate Research Centers at, at universities, at, initially at eight universities, now at seven because Harvard closed theirs under fire from animal rights people, um, that the United States has always found it cheaper to import monkeys. And so in spite of this place being set up to be the monkey breeding capital, it's, it's never happened. It's never gone that far. And frankly, for the sake of the human beings who live there, that's a good thing because these monkeys are coming in, as we've shown, with serious diseases that are transmissible to human beings. And it's, it's quite dangerous to have these huge populations of monkeys in any one area. Absolutely. And uh, Tom Vincell reminded us, it's the music man I was talking about. And uh, I will say they, the uh, Henry County officials tried to accuse us of being radical extremists. And we went out there with a wonderful activist, Madeline Duran, who's in her 80s with all these other um, elderly ladies in tennis shoes. And I said to the other media, I said, look at all your radicals. And they were just these lovely senior citizens from Fort Myers, Florida. Um, it was truly an amazing adventure, but uh, thanks to PETA, we, we did, that did not happen. We've got yet another caller, Annie. We've got just a little time, but your question or thought, Annie, for Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President of Laboratory Investigations for PETA. Hello. Yes, thank you for having this session. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for all the work you do, and thank you, Jane. Um, uh, every year they have this even pink ribbon, so much money flaws and nobody gets to see the resolution. People still give money. My, what blew my mind when we went to the pink ribbon for Susie G. Common, this was one of the many things that we would protest. People were even paying blindly for their dogs, not only for their kids in carriages. This is a very big money maker. And then they had a huge field filled with all sorts of businesses, pink ribbon everywhere. The promotion, the money business behind this is incredibly overwhelming. What can we do to wake more people? I mean, I've reached out to many, changed the minds of many. We worked very hard that day. But how can we do this in a big volume? And I can't say enough thank you to PETA. What you all do, I love you and I can't thank you enough. And Jane, you too. But how can thank we you, individually man. do it? All right. Yeah. Th just very quickly, thank you for that call and that question. Um, you, there is a new feature we've begun on PETA.org about medical charities that don't test on animals. And we urge people to visit that. You can just Google that medical charities and PETA. And you'll find a, it's right now it's a short list, but at the top of the list is Susan Love Foundation, which does breast cancer research. No animals involved, only human beings involved sharing their information and share that with everybody you know. Remind them before tax time. Uh, yeah, and I wanna say another personal story. I don't know why I'm filled with personal stories today because I've worked with PETA for many, many years. Um, I was asked to many years ago when I was a local news anchor here in um, Los Angeles to lead a, uh, an organization's uh, march. You know, one of these marches with the balloons and everything else. And so I, I had lunch with them and I said, you know, I want to ask you, where's where's the money going? Is, is there animal experimentation involved? I was canceled immediately as when I walked away from the lunch, you're, you're off the hook. OK, they don't want anybody asking questions. OK, if you that's ask right. questions, that's it. 
Yeah. And that means ask questions, ask questions of everybody. I remember in the hospital right before my, my little third daughter was born, I was asked if I would donate the, the umbilical cord for research. And I said, well, what kind of research are we talking about? And they said, I don't know. I said, well, get me, I'm in labor. Remember, get me the name of the company and let me talk to somebody. And I got on the phone with the, with the organization that was doing the research, it was completely non-animal. And so I did do that, but it's, it's talking, asking questions, asking as you know, until you're blue in the face. Well, we're out of time. I want to say thank you. I know how busy you are. You are working around the clock um, trying to rescue these 1,000 monkeys. Keep us updated, trying to get the NIH to enter the 21st century. And it takes every single one of us. So I leave you with this message. Go to PETA.org right now and get involved. Start hitting that send button. It's going to make all the difference. See you next time here on Unchained TV. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.